millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. Sans Pants Radio, Australia's most American podcast network. Hey everyone, welcome to Bookish. I'm George Dimbrell. This is a show where we ask you, what's your story and what does it say about you? Today on the show, we have video content producer for Cracked and comedy writer, Jordan Breeding. How you doing, Jordan? Great. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for asking. How's, yeah. Uh, you're, you're based out, if everyone, I'm sure everyone can already tell from the accent, but uh, yeah, you're also based <laughs> in America. So you're in Virginia. I am. I'm, I am where I was born. Not Virginia, but just America. I've stayed in oh, is... in country. <laughs> I was that born in California. Such a wide net. <laughs> yeah, right. I Within, you were, like, oh, you were born in the house. That's so exciting. <laughs> no, no, no. Within three thousand miles of where I was born, but still same government. Uh, okay, give or take. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, you're 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 there. You're I guess the title that I kind of said at the start and stumbled over a little bit was a uh, producer for a video content producer for Cracked. Correct. Is it video? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so which Cracked is the very well known, globally known sort of uh, humor site. I guess that's the best way of putting it. Yeah. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so you do work for them. And as we were saying just before starting the show, you also do a bunch of other stuff comedy writing and some spec scripts and still lazy compared to proactive Americans, but <laughs> more so than anyone else. The spec scripts are of, of no value. Nobody has liked them. But uh, the comedy writing sold a few articles. So, you know, we'll take it. Take what we can get. What, you've shown people and they're like, this is terrible. Do not. Yeah, actually, um, weirdly, despite being in Charlottesville, Virginia, there is a a former uh, scriptwriter guy living here. And I I got hooked up with him. He's he's like 60 now, but he he used to live in L.A. and he used to write a bunch of stuff. Um, He knows Vince Gilligan of um, X-Files and Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul fame. Anyway, I sent him my... I was like, I wrote a spec script just for fun. And he's like, yeah, hmm, this is interesting. You want to talk about it? And um, he's like, what is this, like your first draft? I was like, uh, it's like my seventh. And he's like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we're improving as we go, hopefully. But uh, Was it like the characters are a mess or the script or was it like a specific thing or was it just like this is? Uh, Have you considered another industry? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it probably was like, I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of form issues because this was just, um, at the time I wrote it, I was, um, I was writing for a magazine and just doing like news stuff, just like normal politics and here's what movies are coming out. And then I would go home and I would just write this, this 
weird script and I, I didn't really have any training in it. And so I probably the whole thing, it was me really trying to shoehorn in a bunch of jokes, but then like also have children get murdered in the middle of it and be like, I think it'll work. Totally. It's, it'll, they'll follow, they'll track. It'll work. This works yeah. for Stephen King. It'll be work for me. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. Children getting murdered. It's great. Right. <laughs> that's right. okay. Well, that, that, that's like the good thing is like you're showing it to someone and getting an opinion and then trying to improve from it. That's the key to everything, right? Did you did you have something like that for your writing stuff as well? Like you, well, at least when you started. Like, what is your background? Did you go to university for? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I was an English major uh, in college, and then I I double minored in film and. Uh, film studies and music industry, which are both adjacent to actually being able to produce anything uh, in those respective fields. So I, I, I took an entire class on the Coen Brothers where we just watched Coen Brothers movies and then talked about it, and I got an A. And my dad was like, very disappointed. Um, but why was he disappointed? <laughs> is like, that because he wanted A plus, or because yeah, no, he, he looked at the life what his sons become. No, he's such a big fan of the Coen Brothers. Yeah, I had to get even even higher grades. Um, no, and so I, but I didn't go into that. I actually started. I was a music director at a church up until like August of last year. So um, I was actually until very very recently just freelance writing on the side exclusively. Um, so I pitched a cracked in like 2016 cause they were taking unsolicited articles at the time. And then, uh, you know, they did a great job of whatever crap I sent them, they would clean it up and make it look like I knew what I was doing until eventually what I would do is I would print out what they wrote and then I would print out what I wrote and be like, Oh God. And circled all the things they had, they had changed. <laughs> but it goes, um, oh God. Yeah, yeah, and then be like, oh, crap, like 25% of what I wrote is in until that ratio is now, you know, high 90s. I mean, now it's it's everything I write because I don't have any oversight. But when I write an article, <laughs> it was uh, it was getting much better, I think. Yeah, yeah, and is that uh, – so for everyone who maybe isn't aware of Crack's structure, it's, it's uh, one of the big listicle sort of sites. Exactly. Top five this, top seven this, which uh, people <laughs> lay into. It is, it is, it's weird how much it's programming to your brain for it to work. Like it is amazing how much it does work. Like, I, I know it's hijacking me and still every time it's – if it doesn't have a number in there, I'm just not looking at it. It's right. so dumb how the human brain works. It's unbelievable, but it's true. Like you have to do it because it works. And that's the only reason we do it. I mean it's like uh... – I have one weird idea I want to talk about, but I, I try and I add a number to it so that you'll click on it. I mean, that's the big thing right now is it, sometimes it doesn't matter how good your idea is. It matters how good your thumbnail and your title are. You know what I mean? Like if you're not clicking yeah. it, it doesn't matter how brilliant. I mean, ideally you would get to some elevated status where people just like follow you forever. But until then, I'm going <laughs> to trick you by putting a five in front of what I write uh, to get you in the door. And then hopefully yeah. I'll... See, I don't know. See, even you say that, here's a realization I had a little while ago, which was, uh, which is traumatizing in a way. So you know Cobra Kai, the just uh, that show, Karate yes. Kids TV sequel. So that came onto Netflix, and it just exploded in the popular consciousness once it was on Netflix. Right. But it was on YouTube for like several years, and it was right. great on YouTube. Yeah. And I had a friend, and we both watched it together. And we were like, "How good is this show? It's like great fun, and it's hitting." It's one of those four quadrant sort of shows. Like it hits everyone. Like as in, it's one of those. 
So it's that good. It's that easily enjoyable. And it's on Google's streaming service, one of the biggest companies right. in the world. And still, no one gave a shit. Not until it's on Netflix. So yeah. yeah. I, in it's, other words, put that yeah. number in front of that article. It doesn't matter how big you are. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's – Yeah. And algorithms change all the time, and things are terrible. So it's it's hard to it's hard to know how to get highballs. I mean, honestly, literally this this week, uh, we made the decision for all of my videos. I was we were like, well, it seems that people click on faces more than they click on anything else. And so I literally went through, changed all the thumbnails so the heads are abnormally large. It's like big head mode in Goldeneye, and this the click through rate is going up. On all the videos, and it's like, well, you actually expanded their heads. Yeah, I, I literally, I, I mean, I got new pictures, but like, I took John Wick, and then I took his head, and I made it much larger. And people are like, oh, well, now I'm interested in what this guy has to say, <laughs> which really uh, makes you feel good about yourself as an artist, as a creator. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like. I don't care what this guy has to say. Oh, wait. There's a big old face. Maybe maybe I'll give it a second look. So. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see if our ratings go up or if, if it goes if it plummets where our like to dislike changes because it's like, yeah, I came in here expected big heads and I didn't get big heads. What the hell the is this? sized heads. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. Or if, Yeah. Anyway, such yeah, is that's, life, I suppose. Well, that's the thing. Like uh, – because obviously that stuff is well. What's the video? What do you do with the video stuff? What is actually, if you want to give a quick summary, what's yeah. the actual work there? What do you do? Um, it it depends. We have a few different things, and we're we're finally we actually hired our second guy last week, and we got a new guy starting this week. Um, there are lots of other people in the company at large, and particularly on the website itself. But as far as the um, the YouTube channel, uh, everybody got fired in 2017 by the old parent company, and then they sold it again. Um, to a new parent company in September of 2019. And I was just freelancing on the article side this whole time. And then for some reason at the beginning of last year, I was like, hey, I wonder if they want to do video. So I went to a basement with a friend, filmed myself talking about movies and pitched it to them cold and they liked it and bought some more episodes and here we are. So I don't have like an extensive background in video <laughs> work at all. Um, it just sort of happen that way i suppose but yeah like so an example will be how uh in most american movies for example congress people tend to be evil um but the president is always kicking people out of the planes or shooting rocket launchers and i think there's some subconscious in americans um that they kind of want a dictatorship because it would be a lot easier it's like the the big the big strong man tells me to do things and that's what happens um and i think that has been proven to be true. Uh, there seem to be a lot of people in America who are super pumped about a dictatorship. Yeah. If they could get it. A, a, a significant, able to change votes chunk of the country. Yeah. I mean, you could probably say that. So there you go. I mean, really. But you get it. Like dictatorships. I mean, look, I actually realized recently, it's like the whole culture is, which is not just you, it's globally almost, but it's the love of a person means automatically a love of dictators in a way. Like as soon as you're giving someone too much credit, it's a superhero or whatever, you're kind of on that path unless you're careful. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's 
you know, if we're going to talk about superheroes, it's like the the whole Marvel thing where they're having the Sokovia Accords and, and Iron Man is like, we should follow the law. And Captain America's like, no, the law. I mean, literally America is like, no, the law is stupid. Like, we don't we don't negotiate. Uh, we don't like compromise. We just go out there and we kick ass. And I think there's just like a big part of America that's like, yeah, yeah. What Compromising is weakness. You know, like who wants to to meet halfway we should we should just obliterate all who uh think differently and they'll come around maybe or they'll die and then either way the world is God, better yeah. now or they'll kill us either way uh, yeah. someone's winning and losing yeah so, the situation resolves itself that's what's good about that um yeah. the okay cool uh so i guess let's talk about the uh book and then we'll jump back around from there so let's yeah. start on that just quickly because uh yeah I haven't, I haven't read it but it's a very well-known book so yeah sure. your choice of book for today is uh, the Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Now, for a very quick summary, it's I, I haven't read it, but I did look up the yeah. summary of it kind of beforehand. Um, just a bunch but, of short stories, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're all tied around um, this guy's experience in Vietnam, so the Vietnam War. All the same characters. I mean, they're all tied. It's it's basically just his experience in Vietnam. And I think he's actually written several other books about this as well, but but this is less narrative and more feels like yeah short stories or essays or something right um and they it's kind of fictionalized but not completely fictionalized cuz he had that experience there is that right? correct and i think that is ultimately the thing that appeals to me most i actually wrote down a few of these quotes just because it's hard to explain without it but one of the things that he was saying and there's several quotes to this effect but basically so he's talking about uh, what it was like to write this down. And he's saying, the talking about somebody who died, he's saying, the pictures get jumbled, you tend to miss a lot. And then afterward, when you go to tell about it, there was always that surreal seemingness, which makes the story seem untrue, but which in fact represents the hard and exact truth as it happens. And an example of this, he says, like, I want you to know why story truth is truer sometimes than happening truth. And so one of the things that he's doing, and this is why it's hard to just say it's a collection of short stories, um, because the same stories appear in several of them. And one example is um, he he either did or he did not kill um, a soldier uh, by throwing a grenade at him, but you don't know for sure because he keeps changing whether it happened or not. He keeps saying... Oh, I definitely killed him. And he's like, I mean, I didn't kill him, but I felt like I did. And so he's just trying to convey some sort of emotional truth about the way that he felt. And he's he's trying to make it clear that it doesn't matter what actually happened. It's very interesting. Like, for example, he also talks about another story where um, they're getting shelled and um, his friend is, I guess, hit, but they're they're in a literal shit field. They're in a, like like a sewage field and his friend starts to sink under it because of a mortar shell or something. And he tries to pull him out. But when he initially tells the story, he tells it from the perspective, he changes the name to somebody else. And then like near the end of the book, he's like, okay, actually that was me. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's really interesting and complex in that way. So it's fascinating to me. So it's a, almost a, uh, a meta-analysis of the stories we either tell ourselves or we tell other people about ourselves to kind of deal with things that happen. Correct. And a fair way of saying it? Yeah, and actually one of the things he says at the end is um, 
he's just talking, he's telling the story about this girl that he liked um, when he was nine who died of cancer. And he was just saying that he's remembering that. And he's like, it's great because I'm young and I'm happy and I'll never die. Um, I'm skimming across the surface of my own history, moving fast, riding the melt beneath the blades, doing loops and spins. When I take a high leap into the dark and come down some 30 years later, I realize it is as Tim trying to save Timmy's life with a story. So just this idea that like he's immortalizing himself, I guess, by writing things down. It's very, it's, it's much more than just a Vietnam story, I suppose. Um, which I think is fascinating for me as a kid whose favorite book growing up was, for example, like band of brothers by um, Stephen Ambrose, which the HBO miniseries is about the world war two stuff. Um, and when I was a kid, I would, uh, I read every single freaking tank book I could find in our elementary school library. Like anything that had a tank on it, I would get it. I read every war book that we could find. And I thought war was the coolest. Um, and then I took a war lit class, uh, war literature class in college. And uh, they were all very not cool with war. Uh, Catch 22, <laughs> Slaughterhouse Five, this book. And I was like, oh man, maybe war is bad. Um, I think too, it's like the difference between World War II, which comes across as a little bit easier. It's like, well, this guy was a Nazi, so like we should stop him, as opposed to Vietnam, which is like, I don't know, maybe they're s- sort of communist, I guess. And that's bad, I suppose. Mm. Anyway, a lot, of, a lot of stuff wrapped up in that, but it's a great book. No, well, it's interesting. So you're saying like, that's, yeah. So you loved the war, I guess, and you could probably say it now, uh, like a kid who loves that stuff, the, the explosions, the guns, the, the violence and all that oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Let's not deny that's fucking awesome. But uh, Oh, it's very rad. As you developed, you got a new frame on it. And you're saying it was in college where you actually got that kind of reframing a little bit. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Honestly, I don't, I don't necessarily think I would have had a different – I probably didn't think about it that much. But, I mean, even thinking like in sixth grade um, in my whatever English class I was taking then, they had us write a historical fiction novella just as part of the thing. And so mine was so freaking gory. It was like <laughs> – the liter- the last line is my character, who's of course supposedly my ancestor, because he's got my last name. Um, he gets his head blown off by a tank, and it's my severed head rolled in the dust. And I, there's like another scene, and like <clears throat> so, I was playing Medal of Honor at that time, like the first one, Frontline or whatever, and I had all the guns correct, and the, like blobs of fat flying into people's face, and yeah. I had no reason to think that wasn't the coolest thing ever uh, until I got, yeah, until I was like, like 20. And then I was like, oh, man. And then I guess I started to have friends joining the army and they would like go to Afghanistan and be like, hey, this sucks. Really? But I read this book. Have you read my short story? Yeah. Have you read my short story? I really think it might change your mind. Um, You you just got to see the start of Iron Man. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yep. But that or American Sniper if you want to go the most extreme. But um that's so interesting cuz you're giving an insight into I think a part of cuz like how okay. Did you grow up okay, firstly, did your uh was your dad or mom I guess uh like soldiers or anything like that? Were they that way inclined or um my dad was family? a uh, my dad is a graphic designer which is and my mom is a writer. So it's like <laughs> You know, they fought the war of art, 
or yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> Taste. Uh, so, no. Uh, my, both of my grandfathers were pilot. Oh, well, were in the military, but both of them were kind of more like would load the bomb onto the fighter or would fly like a cargo plane or whatever. None of them were necessarily killing people, as far as I know. Or they they yeah. weren't supposed to. Uh, so if they did <laughs> not for the military anyway <laughs> yeah, right not about their free time right exactly um, well that's because like the reason I'm funny because like I guess globally there's a perspective of America as fairly militaristic in terms of yeah. like obviously what it actually does overseas but also the glamorization of it a little bit like I mean I think I was remember reading this thing about uh, the English and the interesting thing about the Brit- Britain and the UK for longer ago, not recently, but it was something written and it was like they have this weird tendency to really play down what they're doing overseas. Like as in they're uh, constantly sure. like playing down how much they lose at wars and how much they don't like it's ungentlemanly and stuff whilst they're also just conquering half the globe and <laughs> right. like bringing whole races into servitude. Like they, they had this weird tendency of that, like distancing themselves. Yeah. But obviously with Americans, it's uh, – Oh, no. No, it's not the case at all. They've kind of gone in there. Uh... Yeah, we were all for it. I, I do think um, – I did tend to grow up um, – and I think this is probably just – this is a story of my life. I did tend to dro- uh, grow up a little bit more conservative generally, so more right, right-wing right stuff. I didn't think about it a lot, but that's another one of those things where I think it's just kind of drilled into you that like, yeah, there are good guys in the world. There are bad guys in the world. The good guys have to go blow up the bad guys. And um, I think, honestly, I, I'm i hoping this is true for more people. I honestly didn't really think about it that hard. I didn't care about politics that much until Trump and until I was asked by a magazine to write a lot about what he was doing. And I was like, oh, man, I don't know if I agree with all of these things. And, uh, you know, here we are four years later, and I'm like, yeah, I really I really don't. Um, and now we're all forced to think about politics all the time and mm. – um, wish I didn't have to, but at the same time, that kind of just shows the life that I've lived. That politics didn't feel like it was affecting me in the same way mm-hmm. that it might affect somebody, yeah, in a different, I don't know, life situation, I suppose. Yeah, and adjacent to all of this, I think what I really love about this book is not just uh, recontextualizing war for me <laughs> or whatever, but just this idea <laughs> of talking about story, like you were saying, well, like you were alluding to, is like talking about story and this idea that yeah i mean it's a little bit scary to talk about in these times this idea that like oh like emotional truth is more important than factual truth i think that can be true in a story i don't think that's true in like politics or life (laughs) or whatever um but we are getting a lot of those things really confused in an interesting and somewhat terrifying way so that that's that's a, you're, you're you're talking about a whole topic there, which I find super interesting actually as well, because yeah. like, um, I guess the way you deal with like, the way you deal with stuff hmm. is tr- like what you emotionally feel is true, right? And you need to deal with whatever that emotion is, but that doesn't mean the things, like it doesn't mean you're allowed to feel upset. But that doesn't mean the thing is actually upsetting. Sure, on objective scale, like is yeah. It, if you actually take into account everything else going on in the world or whatever, but that doesn't discount your feelings. Like right. you should still feel and deal with it that way, but you shouldn't then be like judging that, even if it's horrible or good or whatever. It's like that, that I don't know. It's a, it's Can a complex you, one. Could you, could you take it from like a, 
maybe you're misunderstanding what is causing that emotion. Like maybe the, the issue is, all right, I'm feeling upset. And I think that it's just to make a horrible example, the, like, so I'm from Charlottesville. Uh, we had people saying the Jews will not replace us. They were marching around with torches. It was terrifying. So they're mad at the, the Jews for whatever the, the Jews have done to them. But maybe there's like, they're not mad about, they think they are, but maybe there's actually something else that they're upset by, which is, I think sometimes that becomes um, analogous with just like rich people, elites or something. And even that is stacking all the way down. And it's like, my life sucks. Um, and I think that there are, life is unfair and it's rigged against me somehow. So maybe it's the elites or maybe it's Jewish people somehow. Um, it's kind of like uh, Harrison Ford, for example. Did you know that um, in America, because this is how we do things, um, they used to teach uh, line dancing in school, the like country Western where you all dance in a square um, and and you would dance around. And we do that because Harrison Ford, the guy that invented cars over here basically thought that jewish people invented jazz and so we Wait, had to gerald ford gerald ford no 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 or not harrison ford i'm thinking of um oh my god henry ford yeah not harrison <laughs> ford one. yeah harrison ford i was like henry harrison ford invented line dancing <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he liked he loved Star Wars, but he hated Jewish people. Yeah, um, <laughs> so I was like, wow, I can't believe I don't know this piece of pop culture. Yet. Yeah, I swear everybody knows this, but we continue to work with him because his acting talents. Um, no, Henry Ford. Yeah, he yeah. thought that Jewish people invented jazz, which is not true, obviously. But he he wanted to make sure that nobody in school learned about jazz, so he forced everybody to do white people dancing. We just have a lot of weird issues. Um, yeah, but I I like it. I like America <laughs> as much as it feels like maybe I've disparaged it uh, thoroughly. I, I like it here. Yeah, I I'd mean, like, like the yeah, you're allowed to, you're allowed to like something and want it to be better as well. That's like not a I'm allowed to like something even though it's objectively false based on what yeah. you've been saying. <laughs> yeah, that's true as well. You're allowed to like it and you shouldn't, but you do. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Cool. Well, thanks for this podcast. Um, that's right. That's, uh, that's what we're all about here. Like, um, <laughs> the other part of it, I guess, which, because uh, you're talking about this book. So you came to the military thing because um, I guess you're a boy growing up and loving guns and tanks and stuff, which is, yeah. you're definitely not the first. Um, I'm surprised that it went that late. And also like, yeah, to your 20. And then it sounds like even that was just a starting point, but it wasn't until you actually really engaged with politics that you kind of switched fully to from a policy perspective maybe yeah yeah i think so you know i don't i don't think i think probably i i I wasn't like at 18 years old running down to the campus library to like find a tank book still um so that particular (laughs) my interest in what are the names of all the different tanks in world war ii that had died out for sure it's Mm. more just that that existed as like i still played war I, I i don't know like played war video games or whatever i mean it had turned basically to star wars by that point but this idea that i you know i i just hadn't really thought about it and still thought it was like a noble cool thing and like it happens and like you got to go to war 
it's not the same as when I was 12 and was like, oh my gosh, like we should go kill everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it definitely, I think there are a lot of things in college, um, and kind of just the, the last few years where you sort of come into yourself a little bit and start to experience things outside of family a little bit and outside of the friend groups that you grew up with and kind of just, I don't know, start to rethink some things, I suppose. I think yeah, literature I mean, I... has a, a lot to do with that. Just by being an English major, read so many books with different perspectives and was like, oh, okay. More than, yeah, you want. Oh my God. Yeah. There this could be book... two sides to every story. <laughs> <laughs> huh, it's like this book is not about tanks and it's it's uh making me feel different than the book just saying this is a panzer. Ooh. I was like, yeah, that's <laughs> rad. I like that. that. That I I love hearing that kind of story because uh oh, so when did you actually read this so this book was when you were 20 ish. Yeah, I think uh ish. It's yeah. probably yeah, it's my is 20 or 21. Yeah. Yeah. I just I love hearing when this happens because I think it's true. It's a really powerful part of like, I guess, literature when it can change, make yeah. you rethink a whole thing. And like, you're going on one path. <laughs> You've gone from vaguely right wing possibly to now being like, we got to bring down the elites. These <laughs> right. All these issues are actually class based. Right. I, Karl I Marx. Think, yeah. I honestly feel like the, the bigger transition was from me not caring about any of it. You know, holding maybe some like for example, right-wing or conservative values-ish, um, to being like, oh, maybe I should care and think about these things because it other people are affected. I mean, another one was I took um, African-American literature class and just kind of realizing, you know, I this is a thing that we're all learning now, but it's not that we didn't know about slavery growing up, but I think we're only now starting the average American is realizing how many horrible things happen. It always was like, yeah, it was probably bad, but then it ended. And now everything's fine. We elected Obama and racism ended. I do think, you know, that was an example of something that I've brought up a lot, which is um, I played lacrosse in high school. Cause of course I did. And um, you know, we had uh, my midfield line was me, Hispanic kid, black guy. And, we called ourselves the rainbow line and I was like, everything's great. You know, there is peace and happiness in the world. There's no such thing as racism. <laughs> and then, yeah, you, you kind of start to realize, Oh shoot, you know, maybe things are not the same as how they were when you're 17 playing sports. Um, mm. and you just feel like everybody's the same. Um, I don't know. It's, it's definitely an interesting thing to, yeah. In college starting to realize this stuff. And then when I got hired, um, or I got an internship just for a summer to write for Paste Magazine. Um, they liked how sarcastic I was, and so they wanted me to write about Trump all the time because he was doing so many crazy things. And then sort of internalizing, like, hey, maybe there's some dangerous things happening. And it has culminated in an attack on our capital. So I was not wrong. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's nice to have such a clear-cut, like – end point of the presidency i think it's really it's you kind of you couldn't have hoped for anything more really than that it's a hollywood movie it's wonderful yeah yeah, yeah. 
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Of course, you guys love making things into Hollywood movies. Actually, you've just reminded me, one of the things I was, when I was there in America, one of the things I found really interesting was, um, like, again, you hear about the Patriots and then you go there and like I was in New York and walking around and I'm like, man, there are so many American flags everywhere. It's oh, yeah. insane. Like, you don't realize until you go just how plastered everything is the American flag. It's like, this is already crazy. Like, just for someone coming outside and seeing it, you're like, this would be, this in a movie of a bad regime would be a sign of <laughs> something problematic. You know what I mean? So, right. And that's the North. Down here, we have Confederate flags everywhere. We actually have a huge, like like a 40-foot Confederate flag on a highway over here that people are really pissed about. But it's like, it literally, it feels kind of like, yeah, like, Oh shoot! Somebody else won overnight. Like it's it's Red Dawn or something. Where it's like, oh my god, is the Confederacy back? Who has flags that big? Um, so yeah, I totally get what you're. <laughs> I mean, invading armies exclusively carry flags the size of this Confederate flag that we've got flying somewhere <laughs> down the road. Yeah, it's Virginia. Nuts. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Because like, I guess like what I'm trying to say, it was interesting for me seeing that side of the patriotism, which gets pushed quite aggressively in oh, America. Yeah. Um, which also is why, like, I feel, yeah, I, it, there's a lot of countries that have that, but America's obviously gone out of its way to really frame stuff so strong in that way. So I guess, did you feel that, I don't know, did you, growing up, obviously you had your military, like, like all boys, so I'm not going to count that, but even like growing, getting a bit older, did you find some conflict with other people? Because like, obviously going hand in hand with realizing, hey, maybe war's not great, is realizing, hey, maybe we're not the best guys ever. Like maybe- Right, right. Are we the baddies? <laughs> Are we the baddies? Um, yeah, I feel like... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think... I, I have come into conflict with people a lot, and I'm still not sure how to do it right. Like, it doesn't feel like anybody wants to actually have a conversation about it. They kinda, they're kind of set, whatever. They've been watching Fox News, or they've been uh, reading or watching YouTube videos talking about how much they hated Ray and Star Wars or something. And it's kind of, that's where they are. They watched a guy in a truck say something onto his iPhone at some point. Now they're convinced that there are children being held in the bottom of a pizza store or whatever. And I don't know. It's just, it's, it's very difficult to feel like you can have conversations. I think in real life it's been fine, but obviously now I haven't seen anybody in a year uh, in real life. Well, just, I mean, yeah, yeah. My my wife and my kids and some people distance, but in general, you know, we've been at home, and a lot of the interaction is online. So <laughs> the dark, cavernous yeah. pit of online, <laughs> the dark yeah. pit. Yeah, yeah, that does make it uneven because you get like, oh yeah. So is that happening with every article? Like, do you almost run an eye through the articles you write, being like, ah, oh, this is going to piss these people off, or like trying to avoid that, or. Well, that's what sucks, too, is like, you know, talking about what we were talking about at the beginning, which is like fighting the algorithm beast. Um, one of my friends was fighting with somebody on some piece that we wrote, and 
of course it it just blows up. I mean, everything on Facebook, um, some of my highest performing videos are always going to be the ones that are more contentious. Um, not like actively, but just like this one is about masculinity and people are like, Oh my God. And the, 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 honestly, sometimes the lower the rating, the better it does, because that means they're angry people. Um, which is not what you want, obviously. I mean, I guess in the most positive light, you're encouraging discourse. Um, <laughs> it's not very refined discourse, <laughs> unfortunately. But What a nice way of phrasing that. <laughs> mainly slur-based discourse, but it's discourse. People are talking yeah. very yeah. loudly. Uh, so. actually, but like to go with that, though, I, I do think about well, – actually, so with – so the book you – You've brought today. You, you're saying like <laughs> yeah. it's, you've brought today to class. Uh, it's influenced your thinking, which is super cool. From a writing point of view, did it like make you want to write differently or anything like that? Um, I mean, yes. I, I so rereading it again. I mean, just it's it's kind of uh, affected my. So you know, as I'm writing, I'm writing a lot of video essay type stuff, which is a little bit more argumentative and more like rhetoric based, not necessarily narrative, but as I have been writing narrative stuff that people hate spec scripts that are garbage, um, it does, it does kind of make you think through like, you know, how can you take, um, and I'll actually, sorry, just to jump one more step, uh, reading a lot of books on writing comedy and how to write comedy. And one of the things that has been mentioned a lot is this idea of needing subtext, um, to make something funny, you have to have a perspective. Like there has to be an angle. It can't just be like, Hey, what if like a cow, uh, went to the moon? Cause you're like, well, that doesn't just because it's wacky doesn't necessarily make it all that funny. Um, mm. and so this idea of taking in his book, uh, emotional truths or things that you've learned or experienced and in comedy, kind of the same thing, but, but this idea of starting with, not necessarily uh, a particular experience, but trying to filter, you know, how does that make you feel? But yeah, like this idea where maybe he did or he didn't kill somebody in the novel, for example, um, or in the book, but the guilt that he feels from being over there and supporting a war that killed all these people that may or may not, probably not deserved it, (laughs) Um, is interesting and taking, yeah, just, he uh an example that he gives in the book is um he had a friend who returned after the war he's a veteran but he he felt very out of place and very listless um he felt a lot of guilt for the things that he did but he also really missed the way that you feel alive when you're in war because every time you don't die uh is the most exciting thing ever um and so he he's like he decided to write a story about the guy just driving in circles all day long around a lake because he has nowhere to go and no one to talk to and he doesn't know what to do. And it's sort of metaphorical for him circling his life. But obviously that didn't happen uh, necessarily, but he did set it in a place that he was familiar with and a guy that he knew and took kind of the sadness that he had. And I, I don't know that that is deeply interesting to me, uh, finding ways to kind of bury the things that you're noticing or the things that you're interested in down a few layers. Yeah. And I, 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 firstly, I think it's because in real life, it's rare. Anything is that clear cut anyway. So straight away, Correct. it's actually distract like uh, from a subtext point of view, 
it's boring because no one likes being lectured to about anything. Right. Um, and also it just adds something as well. Because I always think that with comedy, like as in, do you do much, do you do any stand up? I don't. I should. I'm very comfortable on stage. I get very unslyly burned all the time. <laughs> That's true, man. You are you are in the thick of it. Because I gotta be honest, I gotta feel like I'm just gonna totally make this up, this statistic. But I got a feeling the kind of audience that cracked would support is guys <laughs> and probably yep. a lot of guys who have strong opinions. Not on the positive yeah. side. Kind of guys well, who uh, it's might fun. Torch sometimes. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I mean, it's ov- it's a ton of fun and I love doing it and I I think a, a high majority of cracked viewers are great. There's obviously it's 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 funny. It's like the only the people that comment on something either feel very strongly positive or negative. 98% of the people that watch it don't comment either way. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you get this false sense of like, "Oh my gosh, I got 10 mean comments here. I'm just going to extrapolate that and assume that that means the, you know, of the 200,000 people that have watched this, like they all hate it, you know, whatever. Um, but that's not necessarily true, mm. but it's interesting. I was just going to say with stand up, um, I was in a, I've been in shitty bands my whole life. Uh, so I'm very comfortable being terrible on a stage. Um, and nobody caring at all. So mm. I think that would be fun for me. It would be a fun way to kind of take all of this music experience I have and apply it to all this comedy stuff that I've been doing. But uh, nowhere to do it right now. I yeah. guess I could do it over Zoom or something, but that yeah, would be terrible. Look, that's a, it's a poor man's comedy thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. It's all right, but like, yeah, no, it's a, but it's worth checking out. But I was going to say, because with comedy, that's a classic thing. Whenever you're saying anything, you try and, yeah, put in that subtext, add, add that extra layer to it. Um, tell the truth yeah. without, like, without telling the truth. <laughs> tell I think, the truth, capital T, even yeah. whatever you're saying. Yeah, I think Mike Birbiglia, if you're familiar with him, yeah, um, stand-up Great. comedian, does does such a good job of like weaving this whole story into his set that, I mean, as far as we know, may not be true at all. I don't know. Mm. Um, I mean, I guess when he shows clips of his like actual. Uh, like court records or whatever. You have to assume some of that's true. But I, I think it's an interesting way to kick off uh, a way of explaining a lot of these like observations you have or emotions that you feel as opposed to Jerry Seinfeld, who's mostly just like, here's what I think is funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is also valid, but I don't know. I appreciate Berbiglia's style oh, more man, probably. Berbiglia's, that, that recent one, what was it called? The next one about the kid? Uh, in the couch, yeah, mm-hmm. that was that was that was amazing. Like that was actually one of the best specials I think I've ever seen in my life. It was astonishing. I agree. Good. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I couldn't believe how good. Like that's like where you see like almost depressed. You're like how did he? I don't know how he does it. Like, is in it's just so smooth and nothing, but then everything. It was yeah. I rated that. I think extremely he's highly. he's just a good writer. I mean, he's like writing a story that's kind of interesting on its own, and then picking out all the things that are funny in it, I think mm. like the point that he was going to make, cause he does a similar thing. in um, there's a couple of, I think it was two specials back. He's talking about his wife. And at the end he says, I think um, I still don't believe in marriage, but I believe in her or something like mm. that. And that's obviously not funny at all. Uh, ultimately it's very sweet and very compelling. Um, but you know, you realize that the whole thing has just been 
about his marriage ultimately. And there's a lot of funny things in that, but kind of his, the thing that you get from it isn't necessarily all the jokes. It was, it was that at the end. Mm. And I think that's, that's going to stick with you a lot better than like, you're not like walking out of there and be like, honey, I never thought about, you know, airplane food that way. That, that really, you know, that's, that's going to stick with me in that same way. I don't These think. hotel bottles of shampoo, they're so small. <laughs> Just wake up in the middle of the night and sweating, thinking about it. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. So is that something you like would aspire to? Because obviously you do comedy stuff now, like especially when you're writing more just like article-based things. But would you want to like veer back a little bit more into more serious stuff or like merging the two more or what's next for Jordan Breeding? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that I love about Cracked is that ultimately a lot of what I'm writing – I start with an idea about a well. Right now, it's a lot of movies, so it's like here's a stupid thing, or here's an interesting thing that I'm noticing about a movie, like the uh, like America loves dictators thing, um, which I you know is a little bit inherently kind of funny, but it I it's it doesn't ride or die solely on the jokes. Um, usually, there's supposed to be some sort of analysis or insight um and it's not necessarily as profound as you know i hate the institution of marriage but i love this woman so much i'm willing to (laughs) engage in it you know and i'm relatively new in in the video department of this specific job i do think in in life yeah i would love to you know uh eight-year-old me ten-year-old me always wanted to write a movie i have so many terrible spec scripts i mean i said two it's only two that are even remotely readable but there's many things that i have written um and i yeah i think i would love um some guy on twitter uh he's written other movies but the only one i remember is uh dr strange but he was saying like the the one thing that he if he could pick an emotion to make somebody feel it's it's to cry because that one is much more rare and much more difficult than laughter or rage which for me are like intertwined really um well i just mean people get pissed at i pissed yeah jo- jokes out of me yeah it's funny i literally just had a uh, conversation with someone else uh on this same topic because i've always been of the view that making someone laugh is the hardest because like it's it takes such pre- precision almost but crying is almost like as long as you hit certain beats if someone's emotionally really yeah like like that's kind of and I, i'm happy to have someone disagree with that because that's kind of my view i've always been like well there's certain specific points like death um loss growth like there's there's it's almost mathematical like the 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 crying and it's still beautiful when you hit it and it still adds yeah. a lot there but i always think of just like i don't know getting someone to laugh yeah you, you, yeah you've thrown me because you're the second person to say this to me in like 24 hours so now i'm like rethinking my entire life <laughs> that's funny yeah i i just I guess for me, I don't know. I guess it feels really, to me, for whatever reason, it feels like comedy feels a little bit more straightforward in the sense of like, if I sit down at this point, I think I can write some good jokes. People have laughed at things that I've written. Um, I don't know that anybody has ever cried, uh, except maybe with like an impotent rage or something. But just like... When I sit down, so uh, I was working on um, just some other dumb script idea I had just for fun. And 
it feels like the jokes feel really easy, but man, if I'm like trying to get an emotional moment, it's just, it just feels like I'm beating the scene with a hammer where it's like, this sad thing has happened. So now you feel sad. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It feels difficult to me, but yeah, I hope that's true because I do think I could write a joke. So maybe if, if that's so valuable, then uh, yeah, here we go. Look, no, no, if, um, like I said, you've, you might've convinced me otherwise. You just well, do a joke. Then at I the end, know. the parents get divorced. Done. Tears. <laughs> but I feel like you. I feel like the. I feel like the crying. You have to build that up. Nah, like, true. I have to care about the parents dying. Mm. I don't know. I think some of it too is like. I guess it depends on your medium, but like acting plays such a big role. And I mean, I guess mm. if you're just writing, I do think if if you're just reading a page. Both are extremely difficult. Like huh. getting somebody to laugh at the written, like a purely written thing, or cry or feel anything. Okay, no, I'm going to go with you there. Cry, like laugh is super hard, but cry, I've only ever cried like once reading something. So that's, yeah. Yeah, that's okay. That would take some real skill. Yeah, anyway. Well, yeah. Comedy's not that. Comedy's easy, guys. <laughs> Anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. um, I guess the only other thing I'd ask there is: is the book, the things they carried, is it um, to tie back to that before we finish off? Uh, no, that's fine. Is that an upsetting book? Is it like sad? Oh yeah, um, it's 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 upsetting in a in a really interestingly, just kind of a detached. Uh, detached isn't the right word, but he's not. Man, I wish I could. I wish I had a spot to, to get into, but basically just like the way that he describes, Oh, this, one of the things is, okay. So this is really early on, um, talking about the, the, one of the main things that got me, there's a Lieutenant and he is, um, I think he's crawling through like one of these crazy tunnels that they would dig. Um, he's only 24 and he's crawling through and you know, he, he's, one of his men has died and is potentially or potentially dead at the other end of the tunnel. And he's trying to focus on that because he's in charge. And he's like, I'm 24. He's like, well, the author's basically saying this, but he's like, he's 24. He doesn't care. He's thinking about this girl at home and he feels terrible that he's thinking about her because he knows that she doesn't love him and that he real people are dying on his watch, but he's 24. Like these are not the things that 24 year olds are supposed to be dealing with. And I just, I think something in me was, you know, and then of course they're describing the horrible mutilation of the body, but just this, like, I don't know, this idea that, um, yeah, I think, I think that's one of those things about war, for example, where it's like, I don't know who's emotionally prepared for it, but the fact that we're sending all these kids, all these, you know, I'm 29, I'm a little bit removed from it, but, I don't know. It, even just one of my friends um, recently was in Afghanistan and just talking about the rocket attacks and stuff. And I'm like, man, I've only ever heard you talk about Xbox or or Star Wars. And it's crazy to think that like that dude is now being shot at. I don't know. It's just a very it's a very surreal uh, thing to be thinking about this. I don't know. War is uh, very wild. Yeah, and I guess that concept of um, not being like um, there might be some guilt from this twenty-four-year-old who's crawling along and thinking about other stuff instead of 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's a big it part of it. Like that's how your brain protects itself, and then afterwards you got to deal with the fact that your brain did that to protect itself. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what he was saying. He's like, uh, some guy dies, and he's um, constantly rewriting the letter to his to 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 the dead soldier's dad in his head. One, he takes full responsibility. You know, it's all my fault, even though it's not necessarily. And then he backs it up and he writes it where it's just like he takes no responsibilities. Like it's just war. And then I don't know, just just kind of thinking about, I don't know. I suppose just the the emotional toll that it takes on people is is really interesting. And kind of, I think, you know, back to all of this, kind of the way that we sell it. There's another book that I read at the same time as this in that same class. Um, called Johnny Got His Gun, yeah. which is – have you read that? Yeah, yeah, I've read that. That's – it's weird. It's not – Yeah. It, it's it's a kind of book where I'm like, I don't know if that was good, but I still remember it well now. Like the the chapter – yeah, it's like chapter 9 or 13 or something where he's just talking about how honor is like a thing that was made up to go get people to kill themselves um, for their country or whatever and how it's not real. I think about that a lot. Uh oh, that's what it was. Um, there's a there's another line in here that was like the the men were all afraid of dying, but they were even more afraid of people knowing they were afraid of dying. And that's like what war is: is a bunch of scared people, uh, whose whose fear of others has won out over their fear of literal death. <laughs> yeah, it's very it's very uh it's very sad. And profound to some extent. Um, not sure what to do with that, but yes, it's a sad book. But I think it's also a very extremely well written, very beautiful, really, really interesting. Especially if you're a writer, uh, I think there's a lot in it about the craft and storytelling and anything. So, yeah, and I say this as somebody who's basically been pretty much utterly unaffected by war on either end. Um, not a lot of family involved in it, and they all lived. And obviously, graphic designer dad, dick joke writer son. So like, this is what people fought know. and died for, man. <laughs> I know. For me to just talk about nothing all the time, so that's, that's fine. That is genuinely kind of the definition of what heaven should be. But anyways, <laughs> it's, talk about whatever you want yeah. to pay for. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, look, we've jumped around a lot, but I think we should probably call it there. Uh, what I always ask everyone at the kind of end of the show, uh, do you feel like, thanks to this conversation, looking at the book, you've got some new perspectives or insights into you and the things they carried? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's always helpful for me. I think the, the discussion about even thinking more about this idea of um, – for lack of a better term, subtext and like, I think I'm a verbal processor. So talking out loud about this idea of, of taking emotional experiences or truths, but then uh, burying them a little bit in different metaphors or different experiences um, as a way to, I don't know, like sell it better. Sell it feels like the wrong term, but just this idea of like, if I have something I want to convey or if I've experienced something and I want to talk about it, uh, thinking through the ways of packaging that. So it's not just like, Hey, I feel sad. What do you think about that? Or whatever. Yeah. It's almost like making it digestible 
I think is the way I would making it so. I think digestible and yeah, and even like actually impactful uh, or like meaningful to a person in the way that yeah, if somebody's lecturing, like you should feel this way, you're just not gonna probably. Right. Um, in the way that you know, if you can blame it on the on the Jews, then it'll uh, it'll resonate, I suppose. It's so much. That's similar. what I want to leave you with. Yeah. <laughs> Full circle. Could blame it on the Jews. Jordan breeding. <laughs> it's quite... Yeah. Watch my videos. Uh, it's great. Right, um, I guess that's everything. Uh, so if anyone wants to check out your stuff, just go and check out Cracked. I guess I'll put some links in the description as well. Yeah. But yeah, thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, you've been a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you want to help support this show and all the other shows we do here at Sans Pants Radio, then why not subscribe to SansPantsPlus.com? For as little as $5 a month, you could have access to a whole bunch of bonus shows and content. Once again, that's SansPantsPlus.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.